Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. Y'all, we're continuing again in this series of In the World, but man, Citizens of Heaven. And I know just from hearing from many of you that, you know, this has been a challenging series, but a good series because, again, it's bringing to light the difficulty, it is, the difficulty that comes with being a child of God, but yet walking in this world. And I think all of us could agree that we live in the world, not in heaven. One day we will. Our citizenship is there, but we are in this world, meaning we got to deal with this world. Is it easy? Is it easy to deal with this world? Are people easy to deal with? Life would be easier if it wasn't for other people. <laughs> There's nothing easy about this. And nor am I trying to make it sound easy, but I am trying to provide us through Scripture, through God's Word, the standard of God. Knowing that as He has give us, given us command and instruction that we can accomplish his standard, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. There's too many things. (laughs) There's too many people. There's too much confusion, too much going on for us to do this in our own strength. Because in our own strength, frustration and anger and and hope, all these things can take over. And it can justify a lot of behaviors and a lot of thoughts. But as we read God's word and hear the instruction, see, we're challenged if we're not challenged, I mean, come on, we need, challenge is a good thing. Some of us, we run away from challenge sometimes because it's uncomfortable, but you know, a challenge is the greatest thing in the world because you grow, right? And so as we're looking today at this particular principle, know that, again, there's nothing easy about it, but it can be experienced and our minds can be changed because, again, we are citizens of heaven, We are seated with Jesus in the high places because of his forgiveness, because of the Holy Spirit in us. But yet we're living here. We're dealing with today. We're dealing with all the stuff that comes with walking in this world. And it's not easy. But last week we we talked, I can't talk, went over and read Ephesians 5.1. And two, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Okay, that's easy. (laughs) And walk in love. Okay, done. As Christ also has loved us, reminding us why we do it is because Jesus did it. He was the prototype. (laughs) He did it perfectly. And so it was a reminder to walk in love as Christ also loved. So it's important to see how Christ walked to understand how to walk in love. Because love has many dimensions. And we talked last week, the whole idea of walking is a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, day-by-day mindset. Because, come on, I think some of us, many of us can reserve our love for certain locations and then reserve our hate for other locations. 
And we can compartmentalize our lives and be checked out completely without even realizing it. But to walk in love means it's a constant awareness that God has called us at any moment to love in a, in a way that maybe we don't have the capacity for, but once we recognize it, the Holy Spirit could help give us, will help give us the ability if we choose to exercise obedience. See, he gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, talking about a sacrificial mindset and serving others as Jesus served. And you know, if, if you read the narratives, the, the, the Gospels of how Jesus walked, it was a life of service. He served. He served. He loved. He served. And that service is what changed people's minds. His service and his love is what led people to repentance and into belief, to a change of life, to a change of behavior. And so there's an aspect of our walk that I really want to focus on today that I think will be challenging because it challenged me. I didn't live with this all week. As you're studying, see, if I'm just studying for knowledge sake and don't let it help me or point to where I'm lacking, then I'm not really doing my job. So this challenged me in a big way. So I'm with you all in this. But I want to preface this first by saying, I can guarantee every one of you this week had opportunity to love and to make an impact in someone's life. You might have just not realized it. And I'm not saying it's, man, I evangelized and brought someone in Starbucks to the saving you know, grace of Jesus and brought them to a lake and baptized. You know, great if you did. But I mean, simple impact also. Where a word you said or a word of encouragement or, a sm- or something you did impacted another life that desperately needed it. I guarantee Like, if you look back on your week, did you have opportunity? Did you partake in an opportunity or a situation in which you were able to impact somebody's life? That's up to you. You don't have to answer out loud. I just want you thinking because I know that as believers in Jesus... As we walk in love and learn what that's about, as our eyes are open to the scope of what it means to love others, we are going to see opportunity differently. Because a lot of times we reserve opportunity for those that we love and know. What we're going to see is that opportunity is at every corner if we allow it to be. Because look at this. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, to make sure he was on the right track, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor. Now, a couple interesting things here that I want to stop with. If you break it down, read it a little more slowly. When he recites, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's a biggie, right? I mean, that's like, how do you do, do that, right? If I, if I believe that maybe Jesus was who he was or someone special, I feel like my first question might be, how do I do that? How do I know that I'm doing that? But no, this guy feels like he's got that nailed because he was still following the law. He was still checking off his boxes, but he wanted to make sure that he was checking off the neighbor box right. You see? So already he's deceived in thinking that he's, you know, he, he's got this thing nailed down, the loving your guy. He's like, but just so I know that I'm really justified, I know I'm doing everything right, who's my neighbor? I want you to define that for me so then I know what to do. Just what to do. Now, I, I, I'll dare say for myself and, and maybe for you, that in our minds... Loving God with everything that we are is an easier command than to love neighbors as ourselves. Why? Well, God is love. He's gracious and merciful, compassionate. He created us. He's, he's, he's everything, right? He's for us. He's for us. So, you know, working on growing our relationship with the Lord could be something like, okay, I got this. It's, 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 not a, it's, it's not difficult. We know it's difficult, but the challenge of it isn't so pressing and severe as is loving your neighbor because your neighbor isn't God. Your neighbor isn't always gracious. Your neighbor isn't perfect. Your neighbor isn't this. Your neighbor can offend you. Your neighbor could do this and disappoint you. Your neighbor, you're, you see, it's harder here sometimes than it is here in our minds. But what we have to understand, the way to love God with all of our heart and mind is to love our neighbor as ourselves. They're not separate, right? So Jesus is trying to help this guy see this is not just a matter of a small category or action of this is your neighbor, just go ahead and do that. Because under Jewish law, it was the law to love your neighbor, but it was also considered your job to hate your enemy. It wasn't biblical, but yet the culture of the time said, yes, love your neighbor, but you do have a duty to hate your enemy. And so this guy was just, wasn't even thinking that far. He just wanted to understand, well, who's my neighbor? Is it the person right next to me? Is it the person two doors down? Who's my neighbor, Lord, just so I can get this? Now, Jesus answered, I love this, and said with a story, A certain man, Jewish man, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. I'll stop right there because even in the beginning of the story, he's getting their attention because they understood what this road, they knew this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was a notorious Road. It was a road that was known for its crime and for its robbery and for the violence that would happen. People would travel with others for protection. But often, yes, to walk alone in this would be considered idiotic. Not something you would do. Not, it'd be like going downtown in the middle of the night to some dark alley, walking by yourself. Basically saying, come, rob me, assault me. 
There there was a knowledge that you didn't do this. So he's using this character, first of all, and this character, in my mind, if you heard this, you'd be like, well, he had it coming. Idiot. Why is he walking alone in a place where he knows that it's dangerous and most likely he will be assaulted and robbed? He took it, he brought it on himself. He brought it on himself. Anybody ever said that in your mind? They brought it on themselves. Sorry. Brought it on yourself. And so here, this is where the narrative begins. With this poor guy left for dead who brought it on himself, who should have known better, but yet he didn't, and here he is. Now, now it gets juicy. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and then passed by on the other side. You have a priest and a Levite. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. (laughs) Right? By law, they were required to be a neighbor to this man as a Jew. By their occupation. And by, you, would under, you would think as the story is starting that these men would offer help and comfort and aid to this man by nature of the office that they held. But what happens, right? For whatever reason, maybe he brought it on himself or too busy. These priests and Levites, they traveled this road often. They were busy doing their business in one city and then in the other city, Jerusalem and Jericho, they were busy, 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 busy doing God's work. And for whatever reason, they saw, it wasn't, they couldn't use the excuse that they didn't see him. They saw him. And they didn't just walk by, they like walked by on the other side. You know what I mean? Like they, they really made it a point not to get too close. Like if I see, let's see. In the mall, in those kiosks. <laughs> do I need to say more? You know they're going to harass you. So I do anything to get around them and not to make eye contact because I know they want to put lotion on my hands. <laughs> That's the picture here, right? They couldn't be bothered with this. But yet they had a duty to be a neighbor. So this guy's mind, I bet he's here and going, well, I would have done it. Okay? I would have. I get get what you're saying, Jesus. But Jesus isn't done. Then he goes on to say, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Jesus had to go and throw in the Samaritan thing. For those of you that may not mean anything, you hear, oh, be a good Samaritan, good Samaritan hospital, good Samaritan. You don't, Samaritan was a curse word. The hatred they had, the Jews had for the Samaritans and vice versa. We we can't imagine. I, I mean, a word maybe equivalent would be Nazi. You know, someone that's not capable of any good, they are cursed. They're a cursed individual. Nothing good can come from these people. They're too morally corrupt. They're too lost. They're too this. They're too that. 
I mean, you're talking, this is the worst character you could bring into this scenario. The worst. There was no love, like zero. And Jesus now goes, and here comes a good Samaritan. And I can imagine the lawyer going, wait, where are you going with this? Maybe the Samaritan finished him off. (laughs) He was half dead, and then he put him out of his misery. No. He saw him, and he had compassion. This is a big deal. Here's a... This gives you just another little taste of how they viewed and felt about Samaritans. Some rabbis taught that a Jew was forbidden to help a Gentile woman who was in distress giving birth because if they succeeded, all they did was to help one more Gentile come into the world. But they often thought that Samaritans were worse than other Gentiles. So are you getting a sense of the impact Jesus was making with this narrative, it's throwing everything upside down now. All of a sudden, it's not pointing to just a checklist, but a matter of the heart. Why do I say that? Because Jesus included something very important. See, the Samaritan looked and had compassion. He wasn't following a checklist. There was nothing that would make him take action. There was nothing against him to make him take action. But he was moved by compassion. Again, he was moved by compassion. This degenerate that wasn't capable of anything good was moved by compassion for his enemy who was laying half dead on the (laughs) ground. I thought James wanted to testify for a minute. (laughs) He's just like, guys, I got to get off my chest. (laughs) Everyone was waiting, bated breath. Compassion, I love this, means to have the bowels yearn. That's much I'm going to say about that. To feel sympathy. So this Samaritan didn't act begrudgingly. All right, the law says I got to do this. I may help him. No, he was moved by compassion. To hear this would be, this is impossible. But what Jesus was trying to demonstrate that we will see is that God's love isn't categorized. His compassion is not categorized. It's not bias. See, God's love is all-encompassing. And as we are neighborly, you see, what he is saying is that compassion is a work of God through you, right? And God does not have a limit to who he will extend that compassion to through you. If it's just legalism and law, you see, it's not really a challenge because often it's very easy to have compassion for those you love. And sometimes it's not, but you still might come around because you love them. But when it's a complete stranger or someone in your mind that is not, not worthy of kindness or your compassion, you see, that's where we're challenged. 
and to be in this world right now but a citizen in heaven, there are many things and many people groups and many behaviors and many actions and many ideologies that can elevate anger and bitterness and disdain to a place that justifies not exercising compassion if we ever were in the position to offer it. Because they're Samaritans to us, or they're Jews to us, and I'm a Samaritan. See, Jesus was wrecking everything with this story. Wrecking. Jesus was moved by compassion. Do you know that? The reason Jesus came down from heaven to earth was for compassion. He did not have to. They, God, they could have held our sins against us and let us just perish. But there was compassion. And Jesus died for us because of his compassion and love for God so loved the world. I mean, look at this, Matthew 9, 35. Remember, if we look how Jesus walked, we can get an idea of his mindset and his heart towards people. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds full of non-belief and sin, and even those that might potentially reject him, he had what? What? compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is how Jesus solved those who were sinners and separated from the Father in need of forgiveness. Those that were lost in their sin. This is how he saw them as ones that were lost without a shepherd, wandering aimlessly. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And why do you think the workers were few? Because there was a lack of compassion. He says, the harvest is plenty. There's need everywhere. There's opportunity everywhere. And Jesus, it's interesting that, you know, Matthew would give us the thoughts of Jesus of why he had compassion. He could have just said compassion, but he gave the root of that. And the root was that Jesus saw them as they were, fatherless, aimless, lost. And again, remember, Jesus was perfect. Looking at an imperfect people. And he had compassion on them. And he's like, guys, the workers are few. Because you've missed the point. And I'm here to demonstrate what it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Because you've missed it. Look at Luke 19. It's Passion Week. He just entered into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday. It's the week of his death. He knew what lay ahead, the rejection that he would face, the crucifixion that he would endure. And it says this, now as he drew near, he saw the city that would reject him. I added that. And wept over it. It wasn't just a little cry and a little sniffle. This was a deep wailing of sorrow from a place of compassion. 
saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you, they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation." If this doesn't give you a picture of God's heart, nothing does because he is proclaiming the judgment that would befall Jerusalem in AD 70 when they would be surrounded by the Romans and absolutely obliterated. Even in proclaiming judgment, you see, this is not God's heart. He wept that they missed it. He wept that they were rejecting it because he knew what would happen to them, but he still loved them and desired for them not to have to endure. But see, They still did, but see, God, Jesus could have been like, you're going to get yours, Jerusalem. What you're about to do to me, ha, you'll get yours. I think, I dare say, many of us are so looking forward to the judgment on people. We can't wait. Oh, this world's going to find out in a hurry. I can't wait. (laughs) Yes, the judgment is the Lord's. Our job Our job is to live as Jesus did and to reflect him and walk in love, stand for the truth. But as we walk, we are still looking to reflect Jesus, to have compassion on people that you don't think deserve it. Why? So God can be glorified. Whatever your opinion is about that person. Your feet take you to many places. You do not know who is going to be in front of you. And those coworkers that you're just praying quit, maybe they will, but maybe you st- there's something you need to do first before God answers that prayer. Maybe he wants to work on your heart first before he takes that person who agitates you away. <laughs> It's like, check your heart. It's a classic Christian statement. Check your heart. But there's a lot of truth in that. So, again, the Spirit of God is what enables us even to begin this process. You see, when we receive the Spirit of God, we're receiving the mind of God, the mind of Christ. We're receiving the ability to think and to see as He does doesn't mean we have to allow it. In our mind, you may be loving your neighbor as far as you have it categorized and defined. (laughs) But God's like, it's a little bigger than that. I mean, look at Matthew 20, 29. Now, as they went out to Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now watch what the people around Jesus did. Then the multitudes warned them that they should shut up. You should be quiet. But they cried out all the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had what? 
and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. These men were marginalized. They were outcasts. They were reduced to being beggars for the rest of their life. The culture at hand said that if someone was born with some abnormality, some blindness, some crippledness, it was because of the sin of their parents. They were being punished, or they were being punished themselves for something. So there was no mercy for people like this. And it's demonstrated by the actions of those around Jesus. Like, be quiet. He has not time for you. He's doing holy things. But Jesus turns, has compassion, and becomes a neighbor. He stops what he's doing and has compassion. Two different reactions to the same situation, right? You see, and God, if you allow yourself to be receptive to what God might want to do with you, you see, God's not going to have you stop with every person. You see, God has a, a person in mind or a situation in mind. He, he has a particular event or situation that he will create in you a desire to act upon. Because even when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, there was crippled people all around, but he only went to one. So God has that one, I believe, God has that one for each of us. Maybe daily, maybe weekly, I don't know, but I feel that we can miss those opportunities because we categorize how our love and compassion is to be dispensed. And it's easier to have compassion for people that love you and that you know. But to have love for people that totally disagree with you and are totally outside of what you understand is a whole different ballgame. But I would... Dare say that sometimes our kindness and compassion on those people has a lot more impact. Because you might expect it from the people that you love. Not that you don't do it. Look at Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love that he uses the word clothed because it's a choice to get dressed. Thank goodness we make that choice, right? It's a choice. What am I going to wear today? Does this match? And often my wife says, no, change. It's a choice. We have to choose. Say, Lord, because I'm telling you, this kind of compassion doesn't come naturally. Lord, help me be compassionate today. Lord, I need you to help me be compassionate today where you desire me to be compassionate. Lord, help my words be full of compassion. As I'm on social media or as I'm one-on-one -on -one with someone or as I'm you know, getting gas or as I'm you know, eating out and you know, help me be full of compassion as I see people as they are. Help me be kind and gentle. Help me be paid. You see, it's Lord, because I'm here for you, Jesus. I'm here for you, and you have placed me in this culture right now to be a reflection of you. Lord, help me not get caught up in a way that I be become bitter and anger and justified in my lack of compassion. We are to be compassionate to whoever God brings in our path and says, Russ, that's what he is trying to demonstrate by using the Samaritan as the person that was a neighbor, defined by his action, moved by compassion, which would have been an impossibility in the minds of the hearers back then. Luke 10, 34. 
So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Guy says, who's my neighbor? Jesus flips the question a little bit and says, no, who was a neighbor to the man in need? Who chose to be a neighbor? It's our choice to become a neighbor. And we don't know what defines that except for the moment. And God can give you the eyes to see who is your neighbor that day to be compassionate towards, to be patient towards, to be kind to. This man went over and above. Like he didn't just use a Samaritan. What he did now went above and beyond. Like what you think might happen from a person such as a Samaritan. Because he was trying to show, this is what the love of God looks like. This is operating with the Spirit of God in you. It's only through that that you can even begin to detect the magnitude and the size of God's love. And you first have to know that it's pointed towards you first, right? If you don't think that God needs compassion and patience with you, then... (laughs) Right? And so the lawyer, after Jesus asked him, said, well, he said, well... He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, okay, go and do likewise, bro. Imagine that guy went away feeling a little defeated. But this is what Jesus tells us. Go and do likewise. What? Have compassion on the unlovable. Help the unlovable. Help the marginalized. See past their actions. Does it mean you agree with them? Absolutely not. Again, we don't have to agree with someone to have compassion on them. Jesus saw people as they were. They were lost. They were helpless without a shepherd. So we have to, this is, we have to choose as hard as it is to understand that over the overflow of the mouth, see, the heart speaks the, what we see out there that makes us so angry and so fearful and so this and so that. It's, a, it's an overflow of being an orphan, of not having a father, of being lost. And we hold the key. But it's not use that key to justify us being indignant and self-righteous and belittling. But we could hold to our value and hold to our conviction, but no, our biggest conviction should be, I need to be compassionate to all and be willing to be patient and to love if called upon and to help. And we don't know who that's going to be on a daily basis, but to be in the world and a citizen of heaven means we have to be very aware that every day there could be an opportunity if we are praying for it and open to it. And sometimes, you know, the easiest thing to do, not the easiest, but one simple step, first of all, pray that the Lord give you someone that you can just encourage, either through a phone call or a text. Why? Because you have 
It's an act of compassion, knowing, you know, maybe they're struggling, maybe they're hurting. I just want to reach out and say, you know, I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. You know, little things to get you thinking of others more than yourself. And maybe that person is at odds with you in some way, but you still have compassion and reach out and encourage. And we talked about boundaries already. And you can go back and listen to that. This is a whole different ball game. Because encouragement doesn't mean that you're accepting, right, a behavior. It just means you're choosing to see the situation differently. And guys, when you're out and about, smile. Smile. When you're eating out, tip well. I was a waiter, and I always, 80% of the time when I knew it was a Christian table, I knew I was not getting tipped well. I'm not joking. It's true. And they were belittling, and they were this, and they were that. And I want to say, and you know, I say 80%. There were some good examples, but often it was just like, I expected more. Don't be like that. They're not your servant. Serve them through your kindness and patience and generosity. I mean, we could just spend a whole day on little things that we can do, but it just starts with little things. So come on. Pray for compassion and that you're able to exercise it. Amen. Be a good neighbor. It's like Mr. Rogers said. See, he invited all of us to be his neighbor. See, he got it. Won't you be my neighbor? It was everybody. (laughs) So Jesus, thank you for this, this word, Lord. And Jesus, the example you set as we are seeing it and Lord, I think there's a great awareness how fall, far we fall, Lord, from the standard, how short we fall, Lord. And uh, Lord, I thank you for your patience and compassion on us, knowing that we're learning. You were learning. And Lord, I thank you that even with a word like this, it's not condemnation, it's conviction to be able to walk in life even more to walk in that sense of purpose even more, knowing that as we choose, Lord, to pray for compassion and to act from a place of that, Lord, you are glorified. Lord, I pray that this church as a whole has a mindset shift to where it is so much about each day, Lord, being a reflection and an example, despite who it is in front of us. Lord Jesus, you're so good, and I thank you for your forgiveness and mercy on each of us, Lord. Pray that we're able to receive it in a way, Lord, that breaks a heart that says, Lord, my life is yours. I'd be nothing without you. Fan into flame, Lord, that compassion and the the fruit of the the spirit that was within us, Lord, to be able to minister to those around us. We thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And we praise you as our King and our Lord our Father. Amen. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.